And last week we began to identify some things about Shabbat, uh, fundamental principles. Uh, First and foremost, the fact that Shabbat is sanctified. It is made holy. Understand something. This is not a product of man. This is not a product of Jewish tradition. This is not a product of Moses. It's not a product of Abraham. It's not a product of Adam. It is a product of God explicitly, exclusively. And as surely as he spoke all of creation into being, so I know. When he said, let there be light, there was light. So I can tell you when he said, this day is holy, it's holy. End of discussion. There's no debate here. It's over. You look out your windows and you see the birds of the air and you see these trees. Everything that Elohim created. As surely as you know those are real and you're looking at them, as surely I can tell you the Shabbat is holy. But now you come into a Joshua syndrome. Into a Joshua condition. Because you're confronted with one of two options. Either I can identify that it is holy, or I can turn my back on it. And I can say, I don't think it is. And that's up to you, but understand this. The Shabbat was designed for you. Think about that. So this is something that Satan wants to get you to forget. The Shabbat was designed with you explicitly in mind. And with this, the words of Yeshua agree. And we read the following. Mark 2.27, Yeshua said to them, The Shabbat was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. Isn't that interesting how Yeshua, he brings us back to creation and he puts things in order. There is an order to creation. See, man was made first. Man was made on the sixth day. And then what do you have after that? Well, then you have the Sabbath. Isn't that interesting? Because Yeshua tells us, well, the Shabbat was made for man. And think about that. So he creates man on the sixth day. And what is the first thing that they are shown? What is the purpose of it? He turns them to him. He turns Adam to him for worship. What did we learn last week in Ezekiel? I gave them my Sabbath that they might be a sign, a mark. That they might yada in the Hebrew. That they might know, confess, acknowledge that I am the Lord who makes them holy. That's the truth. Well, I want to begin today's message by building upon this concept. This concept that the Sabbath, it really is the mark of the living God. And the further we get into this topic, the more tangible, the more real Uh, this concept is going to become to you in a very powerful way. I want to begin today by taking you to the book of Exodus. As we come to chapter 16, the children of Israel, they're getting initiated, if you were, into the wilderness experience, okay? And it doesn't go real well. I mean, almost immediately, they're confronted with starvation. There's nothing out in the wilderness. There is absolutely no sustenance. There's no agricultural fields. There's no vines. There's no vineyards. There's nothing. They've been brought out in the middle of a desert, if you will. There's nothing there. How are they going to eat? So they begin to complain, and they're thinking, and they're talking, and they're saying, well, it would have been better to die in Egypt. We had provisions then. It would have been better to die there than to go out to the wilderness and die of starvation. The Lord hears them, and he responds, and he tells Moses, well, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to come in, and I'm going to feed the children of Israel with bread from heaven. 
But here's the thing about it. The Lord is going to do it in a very, very specific manner. He's going to construct a way to deliver the food and a way to gather it in such a way that we're told for six days he will rain down bread from heaven, he'll rain the manna down. And for six days the children of Israel are commanded to go gather the manna. But what's interesting is on the sixth day, the Lord said, I will give you a double portion. Collect double on the sixth day. Why? Because it's on the seventh day, this Shabbat, the Sabbath, there will be no manna for you. It will not be there. And so he constructs this design of how he's going to feed his people. Now, what's interesting is we break into Exodus chapter 16, we're actually given the reason why the Lord did it this way. And this is where things get pretty fascinating. In verse 4, we read this. Then the Lord said to Moshe, Behold, I will rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a certain quota every day that I may test them. It's a test. He constructed this that they're going to gather for six days, and on Friday, the preparation day, the sixth day, there'll be double because you need to rest on the Sabbath. And now we learn it was a test. This was established as a test. Well, let me ask you, a test for what? What is the Lord looking for? The very next statement is revealed, is told, whether they will walk in my law or not. Think about this test. The test of observing Shabbat, about not going out and defiling it. Don't go out and defile the Sabbath. Don't perform melachah. Don't perform work. And now we discover this is the test of all tests of whether they would walk in his law or not. The Lord used the Sabbath as an identifier, as the mark. I want you to think about something. Traditional Judaism ascribes 613 commandments in the Torah. 613 commandments, that's what's incumbent, okay? The Lord, why didn't he use any other commandment? To test them. He's got all these commandments to choose from. He chooses none of them but one. One explicit commandment, and that is the Sabbath. And where things get really interesting, where we feel this weight of the matter on, on the Shabbat, where you see this emphasis on Shabbat from God, not from man, where it gets really interesting is you realize, well, wait a second. He constructs this. He wants to see if they're going to keep the Sabbath holy so that he knows whether or not they're going to keep his commandments and laws. Well, guess what? They didn't have any. They didn't have the commandments and laws. you got to go to Exodus 20. you got to go ahead, chapters, before they even get this revelation of what it is God wants them to do. Isn't that fascinating? What does this tell you? The Shabbat was the mark. The Lord himself used the Shabbat. I'm going to see if they can keep the Sabbath holy, I know what's going to happen to the rest. You think about this concept. Powerful concept. Well, how did the children of Israel respond to this test? Did they pass? Did they fail? Well, as we continue in Exodus 16, this is what we read. Then Moshe said, eat that today, for today is what? The Shabbat to the Lord. I just want you to notice it doesn't say it's the Sabbath to yourself. Because this is what we think. Because we're consumed with rest on our part and our interpretation of what Shabbat is really about. And it is not about resting. That's the blessing. We covered what the purpose is last week. 
the Shabbat to the Lord, not to us. But then it goes on, today you will not find it in the field. Six days you shall gather it, but on the seventh day, which is the Shabbat, there will be none. Now it happened that some of the people went out on the seventh day to gather, but they found none. And here's that infamous two words, "Uh uh-oh, right? Or, oh no, right? The Lord commands you to keep the Sabbath holy. Don't go out and do it. And what do we read? The very next thing we read, some of the men went out and did just that. They went out and literally defiled the Sabbath. To really appreciate this and what's going on here, we need to appreciate the historical context. It's real easy for every one of us, myself included, to sit in our comfy chairs in an air-conditioned building with our fridge full of food, with the ability to travel wherever we want, to go to the store, walk down the store, buy anything we want. It's real easy to do that and to read these stories and go, what idiots? What idiots? What were they thinking? God just commanded them, and it's like they don't even have brains, and they just go out and do this. Let me tell you the reality of what they were confronted with. The children of Israel were in the middle of nowhere. And guess what? They didn't get to bring their 401k with them. There wasn't a pleasant little job transfer for them. Okay? There was nothing in the wilderness. They looked with their eyes and there's no way to survive. Now let me get real. Get really real. Think about the parents that are there. that are concerned about their children starving. About the wives telling their husband, you get out there and collect the manna before we all starve. These are real problems. These are real God. But my friends, I'm going to tell you this. You better appreciate the context, the historical context of what they were really confronted with and the fears that plagued them. Okay? Because why? Because you are going to be tested. Take it to the bank. You will be tested in regard to the Shabbat, of whether you will keep it holy or not. And you better believe the adversary is going to come into your life and he's going to start sowing fear and said, well, if you don't go in on Shabbat, your employer is going to fire you. And the spouse may come to you and say, honey, you have to go to work. How are we going to eat? We can't make our house payment. What about our children? How are we supposed to do these things? You will be tested. I promise you. And you'll be tested, some of you will be tested on multiple levels. Much more shallow type of testing. One so self-absorbed where you just don't want to, you go out and defile the Sabbath simply to go to the altar of entertainment. Because you want to go shopping. uh, Because you want to go golfing. Or because you want to go to the gym. It's just you, you, you. This is all about you. It's your day of rest. It has nothing to do with the Sabbath. That has nothing to do with the fact that that day is consecrated and made holy. Whatever the case may be, I promise you this, you will be tested. And understand, I can break this all down for you in one simple phrase. It takes faith to keep the Sabbath. What is being tested? Your faith. Think about the power of that concept. The children of Israel's faith was tested in the wilderness. It was their faith that was being tested. How does the Lord respond to the children of Israel who didn't listen, who didn't keep the Sabbath holy? Listen to what he says in Exodus 16, 28. And the Lord said to Moshe, how long do you refuse to keep my commandments and my laws? This is explicitly in the plural. I mean, all they did was break 
little old Shabbat. That's all they did. And now they're being accused of breaking the entirety of the Torah. The Shabbat is the test of all tests. It's the test of faith. It's the test of obedience. And think about this. Again, the Lord could have picked any commandment to test Israel. He chose the Sabbath, the test of faith. This is not something that you want to take lightly at all. I want to take you to the book of Numbers. As we come to chapter 15, unfortunately, we're going to run into a very similar scenario as what we just covered in Exodus 16. Very similar. Even to the degree, which is why I'm bringing you there, that, oh, guess what? We're going to see that the Shabbat is an analogous of the Torah itself as a whole. And this unique relationship where the Shabbat is elevated on this pedestal as a symbol, as a sign, as a mark to know whether or not we will follow the creator of heaven and earth. In Numbers 15, verse 32, this is what we read. Now, while the children of Israel were in the wilderness, they found a man gathering sticks on the Sabbath day. And those who found him gathering sticks brought him to Moshe and Aaron and to all the congregation. They put him under guard because it had not been explained what should be done to him. Interesting scenario. Now, most, of, most people, especially with a Western mind, mindset, would go, what's the big deal? He's picking up sticks. How harmless is that? It doesn't make him a bad guy. That's not a big deal. That's silly. These men saw what he was doing, that he was performing melacha. They saw him working and defiling the Sabbath. And so these men, they grab him. They take him into custody. Now, here's the thing. They don't know what to do with him. What do you do with a guy that's defiling the Sabbath? It's not something that had been revealed to them. So they bring the matter to Moses. They bring the matter to the congregation. Well, what happens? What's the response? What, what is going to be the verdict on this gentleman? As we come to verse 35, this is what we read. Then the Lord said to Moshe, the man must surely be put to death. I want to be very clear. Again, this is not a product. This was not a verdict or judgment rendered by the congregation. This was not a verdict rendered by Moses or Aaron. This was explicitly by the mind of the Lord. The Lord himself commanded he is to be put to death. That is an amazing thing to think about. This is not a man-made thing. This is a Lord thing. And all the congregation shall stone him with stones outside the camp. So as the Lord commanded Moses, all the congregation brought him outside the camp and stoned him with stones, and he died. The Lord takes the Shabbat so seriously. Failure to keep it holy results in the death penalty. And I want... To explain something to you, if you're not familiar with this book, with the Torah, there's no greater penalty that man can serve on this earth than the death penalty. It's the severest judgment that exists. There's nothing higher. Think about the context of what we're dealing with here in the Sabbath. I ask you, I mean, you look at this, is there any possible way that the Lord could try or attempt to get our attention more than by reading passages like this? You ever wonder why? Don't wonder why the enemy has come in, the devil has come in and told you you don't need to read the Old Testament. The Old Testament's done away with. All that stuff, it doesn't exist. He knows exactly what he is doing. He's taking the fear of the living God 
out of your lives so that we can be deceived, so that we can lie and live any way we want without any recognition to the creator of heaven and earth. As we continue in this passage, we're actually going to come to the part, which is the very reason I brought you here to begin with, where we're going to see this mere reflection of what we learned in Exodus, where the Shabbat is symbolic of the law as a whole. And as we move to verse 37, we're to discover that, the, 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 in, in, that in light of this man, he's put to death. He's been killed by the Lord. The Lord is going to institute something by way of a reminder. And we read this in Numbers uh, 1537. Again, the Lord spoke to Moshe saying, speak to the children of Israel. Tell them to make tassels, fringes as we call them, zitzit in the Hebrew tassels on the corners of their garments throughout their generations and to put a a blue thread upon the tassels of the corners. So here in light of the man breaking the Shabbat, this is the command. He broke the Shabbat. The Lord comes on the scene and says, Israel needs to create these. They need to start making zitzit. All right? Why? What was the intention of the Lord? And this is what you need to ask. Was it just a fashion statement? What was the intention of the Lord to make this? What do they symbolize? Well, we discover as we continue in verse 39. And you shall have the tassel that you may look upon it and remember all the commandments of the Lord and do them and that you may not follow uh, the harlotry to which your own heart, in other words, to live according to your own ways. You're not supposed to do that according to which your own heart and your own eyes are inclined. And that you may remember and do all my commandments and be holy for your God. Think about what just happened. A man gets caught breaking the Sabbath. He's put to death. The next thing that happens is you're commanded to make zitzit. And then we're told what they represent. All of the commandments. You just see what happened here? The Shabbat is analogous to the Torah. To the whole of the law. It was the marker. It was the symbol of it. And to breach it is to devastate the entirety of it all. Absolutely scary stuff. Something worth pointing out here before I move on. I want you to think about something. And you might say, well, Daniel, that was just kind of a hokey thing, and you're just trying to make it look just like Exodus 16, which it does. I want you to think about this. There were plenty of times for the Lord to institute zitzit prior to Numbers 15. Do we forget about the golden calf incident? Why not? Moses comes down, he breaks the tablets. Why not institute zitzit at that moment? That sure would have made a lot of sense, don't you think? They were caught up in idolatry. Doesn't happen. Well, move forward. You could, I mean, we could look at it several things. What about the fact that the 10 spies went and came back and they gave a bad report? And then all Israel wakes, breaks out in rebellion against Moses and Aaron. Well, I think that would qualify for a real good time to institute these fringes. But he doesn't. There's something you're supposed to be picking up on in regard to what's going on. All of a sudden, a man breaks the Sabbath, and now we have the institution of the tzitzit, which represents the entirety of the Torah. No, you can't make this stuff up. This stuff is real. The Lord is showing us something. If we're paying attention, you're going to see the weight and the gravity of Shabbat itself. I want to take you to the New Testament, to the Gospel of John. 
And there we're going to see the Sabbath again. This is consistent. First century Jews, the religious leaders, they're utilizing the Shabbat as an identifier. They want to identify whether a man is from God or not. The Shabbat. Amazing, amazing. As we come to chapter 9 in the Gospel of John, Yeshua, he, he heals a man who was born blind. The problem is, is he does this on the Shabbat. Well, that doesn't go over well with the religious leaders uh, to the point that they actually call the man that was healed. They call him in for questioning. And this is what we read as we come to John 9, verse 13. And they brought him <clears throat> who was formerly blind to the Pharisees. Now it was the Sabbath when Yeshua made the clay and opened his eyes. <clears throat> Excuse me. Then the Pharisees also asked him again how he had received his sight. And he said to them, he put clay on my eyes and I wash and I see. It's real simple. I keep telling you the same story. over. This is it. There's nothing more to it. Very simple. He continues in verse 16. Therefore, some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God. Why? Because he does not keep the Sabbath. The first thing I want to point, in, point out here is that this was a marker for them. If they came across one of their own who was not keeping Shabbat, they threw the flag. You can't be from God. They knew their scriptures. They're experts in Torah. They knew what it was going on. And this was the very marker. Now, at the same time, I will tell you, did they judge righteously? No, they misjudged. This was a complete failure of judgment. They did not understand the rules and regulation according to the Torah, according to God's command of what it encompassed to do, what is lawful to do on the Shabbat and what isn't. See, the traditions of the rabbis started coming in very, very weighty. We're going to get into that later and show you just how over the top and weighty they really are. But Yeshua in Matthew 12, he tells us it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Yeshua brings clarity. The one who is the Lord of the Sabbath. He created the Sabbath. He knows how to interpret it. Very simple. He is the Lord of the Sabbath. So these men misjudged the situation. There's no doubt. But the point I want to draw to you, this is what they were looking. This was a marker to know whether someone was from God. Now let me build upon this even further. At this meeting, there were others who believed in Yeshua. And they believed what he did was truly legal on the Shabbat. And that what he did was good. Now, but what they say is extremely fascinating. Look at how they respond to the charge. Others said, how can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was a division among them. I want to point out the fact. How they respond to the charge. How can a man who is a sinner they're, they are acknowledging that if someone breaks the Sabbath, you are a sinner. You're sinful. That's scary. The Shabbat truly is the mark of the living God. Very, very serious. I want to show you one more passage today in regard to it being the sign, a mark of the living God. And I saved the best for last, at least in my opinion. Because in this particular passage, we are going to discover just how relevant Sabbath observance is for Christians today. We're going to cover a, a lot of ground here. Going to Isaiah 56, verse 1, this is what we read. Thus says the Lord, not thus says man, not thus says Moses, thus says the Lord, keep justice and do righteousness for what? My salvation. I want to stop right here. 
My salvation in the Hebrew, which I put up here and I color-coded it for you, is Yeshua Ati. The T at the end in red is my. It's the possessive. My Yeshua. Literally, the word used is Yeshua. And you read Matthew 1, he was to be called Yeshua because he would save their people from their sins. The, the name itself means salvation. And here the Lord, and I'm, why am I pointing this out? Because it's all about Yeshua. This prophecy is a prophecy of the dispensation of grace. The dispensation, the revelation of Yeshua. He says, and here, this is a warning, this is a prophecy warning. My salvation is about to come and my righteousness to be revealed. Fascinating because the apostle Paul says, but now the righteousness of God apart from the Torah has been revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. He was talking about Yeshua and it goes right back to this prophecy. The righteousness of God has been revealed. You think about that, goes right back to this prophecy. Paul's living in the first century saying, this prophecy has come to pass. Context is everything. Because what we're about to embark on that follows this is within the context of the revelation of Yeshua, meaning the dispensation of grace. Everything that is going to follow is under the dispensation of grace. Follow me now. As we continue in verse 2, this is what we read. Blessed is the man who does this and the son of man who lays hold on it, who does what? Who keeps from defiling the Sabbath and keeps his hand from doing any evil. So the prophecy begins with Yeshua is coming. You better get your act together. And then it goes on. Blessed is the one who actually does this. And under this dispensation of grace, blessed is the man who keeps from defiling the Sabbath. Very, very powerful. Now, some would like to interject here and say, well, Daniel, <clears throat> that has nothing to do with the Christian church. That's a Jewish thing. This is, this is a Jewish thing. Didn't Yeshua say, I've only come for the lost sheep of the house of Israel? Right? Well, as you're going to see as we continue, that mindset isn't going to work. And actually, I'm going to take it a step further when, you, when we're about to read what we're going to read, you're going to realize that the Lord rebukes such things to come out of our mouth. God forbid such things would come out of our mouth. Look at, look at what is said next. Going to verse 3. Do not let the son of the foreigner. The warning comes out, the Gentile. Now I ask you, what happened with the dispensation of grace, with the revelation of Yeshua, Jesus, to the world? The gospel goes out to the four corners of the earth. Does it not? To the foreigner, to the Gentiles. Well, now, here's a warning. Do not let the son of a foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord. See, this is prophetic. The only time in, in history when foreigners were joining themselves to the Lord, such as with this revelation of dispensation of grace, was with Yeshua, the coming of Yeshua. The, the, the Gentiles started pouring into Israel. So he says, join themselves to the Lord, saying, what does he say? Do not say this. The Lord has utterly separated me from his people. And I cannot tell you how many times that I've engaged in conversations where people are very open to talking about this. But, you know, I, I, it's Jewish, you know, and we're, I'm not Jewish. So I, I, there's no need to keep the Shabbat. And I'm like, have you read Isaiah 56? That specifically says that those words are not even come out of your mouth. Yeshua in Ephesians 2 broke down the middle wall of separation. Do not let the son of the foreigner, the Gentiles, 
are not to come in and say the Lord has separated us from his people. That's the power of Yeshua. Nor let the eunuch say, here I am a dry tree, going on to verse 4. For thus says the Lord to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbath and do what? Choose what pleases me. This is something we learn about the Shabbat right here. Sabbath observance pleases our maker. It pleases Yeshua through whom all things were made. The Lord of heaven and earth. It pleases him. But there's something else to point out here. Choose. Bahar in the Hebrew. To choose. In fact, it's the very same word that Joshua says. Choose you this day whom you will serve. Choose. He is desiring us. He's desiring the Christian church. Those who call upon the name of Yeshua. Choose what pleases him. We have free will. We're not robots. He did not create us robots. He wants us to love him and serve him. And he says, choose what pleases me and hold fast my covenant. Moving on to verse 5. Even to them I will give in my house and within my walls a place and a name better than that of sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. Verse 6. Also the sons of the foreigner who join themselves to the Lord to serve him. The foreigners coming in through the name of Yeshua, being redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, they're coming in to serve him, Sharat in the Hebrew, literally to attend as a worshiper. That's what Shabbat is all about. It's about attending as a worshiper. Now, look at these descriptions that we're going to be covering in regard to the Sabbath, in regard to keeping the Sabbath and what it really means. <clears throat> this, this, the, the verse begins... Also, the sons of the foreigner join themselves to the Lord to serve him. So we see there's a servant aspect involved with the Shabbat. To love the name of the Lord. Man, where have you heard that being associated with Sabbath observance? To love the name of the Lord. To love the name of Yeshua. To be his servants. Everyone who keeps from defiling the Sabbath and holds fast my covenant. Did you catch that very end statement? Defiling the Sabbath. Here you have the Sabbath. And holds fast my covenant. You are seeing it again. The Sabbath is being paralleled to the totality of the law. The Lord keeps showing us over and over again. It is the mark of the living God. It's powerful. Continuing on in verse 7. You want to see how powerful Sabbath observance really is? It follows with an eternal promise. Even to them I will bring to my holy mountain. Now just stop. Think about the implications of what is just said. You keep his Sabbath holy, you retain his covenant, and you get eternal life. What does this tell you? It's a life and death situation. It's a matter of life and death. Do not wonder why the enemy has gone out. There's no mystery here. He knows what's at stake. And it goes on, and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar, and my house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations. Okay, so if we keep Shabbat, eternal life. If we don't, Torah tells us it's death. It's very simple, right? And considering these powerful implications of Shabbat, what it signifies, what it stands for, knowing how important it is, is it reasonable for us to consider, to even possibly think that this would be something that the devil himself would go out to attack? Right? 
I mean, think about how important it is to the Lord, how important it should be to us. And the answer to that is obviously, absolutely, the enemy has come out against the mark of God. Make no mistake, the devil has come out against it. And all you want, you want some proof of this, peer back in history as we're going to do in the next couple weeks. For a couple weeks, we're going to spend some time in the history of Christianity You want proof of this, all you need to do is look at the condition of the church today when we have Christians being led in prayer to Allah. This is as serious as it gets. We are in trouble. And it's time, high time we admit the church has been breached. The walls of the church has been breached. And it's time to gather together and build an army for the Lord and hold the line to stand up against evil, to stand up against wickedness, to proclaim truth and to pull our brothers and sisters out of the fire in the midst of that. Amen, sister. (laughs) I'm going to close with some things that I have heard over the years, 15, 20 years, whatever. Things in regard to the Sabbath. Even some of these that I grew up with, ideologies, and we're starting to see that you're going to look at these and you're going to see that there really is an issue. And the first one that you hear, well, Jesus annulled the Sabbath. I mean, how many of you have heard that growing up in Christian church that Jesus annulled the Sabbath? Well, this is something that I was told. But I was also told that, well, wait a second, Daniel, every day is a Sabbath. Every day can be a Sabbath. You can't find that in the word, but we're just, and and can I be clear on something? Where does man get the power to make things holy, to start deeming days holy? He has no power to do that. Only God alone retains that power. Amen? What about you can pick whatever day you want? Because see, see, this is getting the frame of mind. This is why we need to talk about the Shabbat. This is not about you. This is about worshiping the creator of heaven and earth. This is about worshiping Yeshua. But if we think it's all about us, well, that makes a lot of sense because it's physical. I'm looking at my flesh. And isn't that interesting that you start determining what is holy by your flesh? That is scary. Sunday, what is typically in Christianity, mainstream Christianity, is called the Lord's Day, has replaced the Sabbath because of the resurrection. Well, now let me be very clear My faith is established on the resurrection of Yeshua Jesus, period. That is how my faith is established. That's not a question. The question is, well, did he change the day? Did he change the day from Saturday to Sunday? We're going to look at that. And this really, this this mantra here is typically the prevailing theme uh, among churches. It's what I grew up with. Another one is, you know, some admit Saturday is the Sabbath. And I honestly can tell you, I can't count because I've heard it so many times. I've heard many great pastors. I've heard many scholars openly just tell you Sabbath is not on Sunday. I don't know why Christians say that. They will tell you the Sabbath is on Saturday, but that's for the Jews. The Lord's Day is for us. Sunday is for the Christians. So we're going to look at that. Here's another one. The Sabbath isn't commanded in the New Testament And I've gotten this one a lot. And it kind of parallels that Jesus annulled the Sabbath. But, you know, as Christians, we we go to the New Testament and and they want to see, well, I don't see anywhere the Sabbath is actually commanded, where we actually have to do it. Therefore, 
we don't have to do it. Well, I want to be very clear. The, the, the whole of the Torah isn't there. It's a commentary on the Torah. It also tells, it doesn't say it's absent from telling me that I can marry a goat. There's nothing forbidding in the New Testament, which by the way, and I mention this because it's actually happening today. If you can believe that. It is so sick and twisted. But you know what? The New Testament doesn't talk about it, so it must be okay. You see where I'm going with this? So what we are going to be doing in the next couple of weeks is we're going to be digging into some serious history and looking at why are we here? If somebody explained to me why we have more than half a dozen different ideologies, even within the same church, where you can ask different leaders and elders, you go up, and I remember asking pastors, various pastors, and I get the same answer. See, that, that's how I knew some, some, something's dramatically wrong because the commandment is explicit and unambiguous. And yet we have all of this. There's only one reason. The devil has been hard at work. Amen.